Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit mbcmetairie.org. Now, here's this week's message. All right. With that being said, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts, to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 8 in just a second. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. If it's not, if you've been with us, welcome back. Uh, If you're joining with us online, please, as we've mentioned before, comment below. Tell us where you're watching from. Uh, One way that you can help us by getting the word out, of course, is to share our worship service online or by hitting the like button. That helps us to get the word out to more people as we study God's word today. If you uh, need a set of notes, if you're walking uh, with us today, hopefully you were able to get a set of notes. Uh, Looks like this so you can uh, be able to fill out some of these blanks. And if you're joining with us online, you can go to our website, as you can see up there on the screen, mbcmetairie.org, and you can get a set of notes by going to our word worship service tab. Did you know that there are two words, two different Greek words for crown in the New Testament? The, The first word that we have is a Greek word diadema. Diadema. Diadema uh, means a royal crown. It's where we get our English word, which I'm sure you've heard often, diadem. Uh, You may have heard that in a song. Remember that old time hymn, all hail the power of Jesus name? Do you remember that? You've sung it many times. Many of y'all have grown up singing that song, all hail the power of Jesus name. And then there's the line that said, let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Did you ever sit back and go, what in the world is a diadem? You may have sang that song a hundred times and said, I don't know what a a diadem is. A diadem is a royal crown. It's talked about uh, throughout the scriptures. But there's also a different type of crown that I want to share with you today. And that, that type of crown is the Greek word is Stephanos, Stephanos. And it means a victor's crown. It's actually where we give, uh, it's where we get the popular name Stephen, okay? And we have our, our bass player whose name is uh, Stephen, absolutely. And so, Stephen, you're not just the bass, the bass player of, of our praise band. You are the crown of our praise band. Amen, amen. And so he is, he's that, because he's won that victor's crown. Oh, okay. But he's won that, that victor's crown. Now, the difference between a diadem and a Stephanos. The difference is one is a royal crown and the other is a victor's crown. A royal crown, a diadem, can be inherited. It can be passed down from father to son. If the father is a king, it can be passed down to the son. If the father is a king, it can be passed down to the daughter as a queen. You see what I'm saying? A, a royal crown can be inherited. But a victor's crown, a Stephanos, can only be one. It has to be one. 
Something has to happen. A lot of times it would be something if you were uh, involved in uh, something like the Olympics or, or the Ismonian games that they had during ancient times that you could win this victor's crown, this Stephanos crown. And that plays in today. Pastor Dan, why are you telling us so much about this? It's because over today and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be studying a man named Stephen who won that crown for Christ. We're going to be looking into his life and we're going to be saying, okay, what principles of, of the short passages that we have? I mean, just a few things that the Bible tells us about him. What are some of those short things that we can apply to our own lives? And so last week we learned of seven men who were appointed to serve the early church. If you were here last week or if you recall what we were looking at, some of the Jewish widows who were more of a Greek culture, more of Hellenistic nature, were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so they chose seven men who kind of had that Hellenistic background, that Greek background, to be able to serve them. And so we, we see back, if you look back in, in chapter 6 and verse 5, you see how they chose, one of the first ones that was chosen here was a man named Stephen. And he's full of faith and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to list six other men there. But Stephen is so important because Stephen really comes into play as we look into uh, something that takes place in, starting in, in verse 8. But not only did Stephen wholeheartedly serve, he was there saying, use me. Widows need food, use me. I'll be there. I'll help. I'll get my hands dirty. But not only was he own, uh, just a servant, he was also a man who was full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and he shared his faith. He, he spoke out. He was verbal about his faith. And this is so important to us today. And I, I just, even before we dive into this passage, because I think sometimes you and I can lock ourselves into a specific gift. Well, Pastor Dan, I'm, I'm only a servant. I can only do this or that. And we sometimes lock ourselves into a, a particular area. God, I, or, or Lord, I could never, I could never do this when God might really be asking you to step outside your comfort zone and do something that you never thought possible. Stephen was a man who was a servant, but he was also a man who was vocal about his faith. He was, he was a leader, if you will. And so as I, as I studied uh, this passage this past week, to talk about it today, there was one phrase that just kept coming back to me over and over, remaining steadfast, remaining steadfast. Stephen remained steadfast to the very end of his life. And here's a spoiler alert. He remained steadfast and they killed him for it. They killed him for it. You have in your notes a quote by Vance Havner. I've, I've quoted him before, but if you've never heard of him, he's a revivalist who was born in 1901. He went to go be with the Lord in 1986, but he was a preacher in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. Students, you want to know how old he was when he surrendered to the call of Christ to preach the gospel? He was 12 years old. 
12 years old, and this is what he said. He said, Christians do not have to live. They have only to be faithful to Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? You gotta be faithful to Jesus Christ. Not only until death, but unto death if necessary. And so that's what we're going to see with Stephen today. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, and we're going to start right here in verse 8. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, look at this, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Verse 9, opposition arose, however, from some of the members of the Freedmen's Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians. So these folks were Alex, uh, Cyre uh, Cyrene and, and Alexandrians. Uh, this is from North Africa. And so they had traveled their way uh, into Jerusalem, and so here they were. And then in verse Halfway through verse 9, it says, And some from Cilicia and Asia. That's actually where we think the Apostle Paul uh, was able to learn the knowledge of, of, the, of, of Jews was in that area of Cilicia and then the, the, the regions of Asia. And they began to argue with Stephen. We're going to talk about that here in just a second, that word argue. Verse 10 says, But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit by whom he was speaking. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And so they came and they seized him. They arrested him and took him to the Sanhedrin. Now don't forget, this is the same group that seized Jesus this is the same group that seized Peter this is, and John. And this is the same group that has seized the whole, all of the disciples. And they, they have been bringing them constantly. So this is a group, and they know what they're capable of doing. This is a powerful group of 72 elders. And then in verse 13, they also presented false witnesses who said, this man never stops speaking against this holy place, talking about the temple and the law. And then they say it again. For we heard him say this, Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, they were, they were beginning to lose their footing. They didn't take the leader's advice. Remember Gamaliel, if you turn back um, to chapter 5, just flip back with me in, in chapter 5. You remember as the apostles were preaching about Jesus, they brought them in and, and they've had so many times that, that they threatened them and that they've told them not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. But in Acts chapter 5, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, in verse 38 it says, you have this guy named Gamaliel, he's one of the respected leaders and he says to them, he says, in this present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. Talking about the disciples, talking about the believers, talking about the Christians. 
For if this plan or if this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's of God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. And that's exactly what was taking place. I wish they had taken his advice, but they didn't take his advice. And so here they are, that things are growing, things are sprouting. The, the name of Jesus is, is moving and they find themselves fighting against God. What was their hang up? Why have we seen this over and over and over and time again? What was their hang up? Is that they were saying that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the son of God. Well, why is that such a big deal? Why does saying that Jesus is the son of God, why would that pose such a big problem? I'll tell you why it poses such a big problem is because if Jesus was the Messiah, then number one, they were responsible for obeying him. If you're the son of God, then they're responsible for obeying him. But number two, they were responsible for crucifying him, crucifying their Messiah. And so it's a lot easier for them to live in denial that he is the Messiah, than to swallow their pride and accept him as their savior. And so one of the guys who was causing these quote unquote problems was Stephen, because he didn't play into their narrative. That Jesus was in their eyes a heretic and a blasphemer and certainly wasn't the son of God. And so Stephen was confronted. And here's the point. You and I are confronted as well. You and I are going to be confronted for our faith. You and I are going to face opposition too. And so the angle that I'm going to be looking at today and that I'm going to be taking today is when you and I face opposition to our faith, when people are speaking out against us, how do we handle that? And I think what we can see is we, we can apply the principles when you're faced with opposition also in any area of your life. So with that being said, if you got your notes, I want you to pull them out and fill out just a couple of things. Remaining steadfast when people speak against you. It could be about Jesus. It could be about anything. When they speak against you requires, number one, write this down, being faithful to Christ before experiencing opposition. Being faithful to Christ before experiencing that opposition. If we look back in chapter six, starting in verse eight, it says, now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen was already faithful to God. He was already living out a steadfast life, putting those principles into place day in and day out. So this didn't catch him off guard. He was already living for, for Jesus. And here's what happens. Here's what happens to so many people is when they face opposition in their walk with Jesus Christ, they crumble. And why do they crumble? Is because even though they might be saved, there hasn't been consistent living. There hasn't been a faithfulness to Christ before they experienced the opposition. 
It's like working spiritual muscles. If you stay in shape, then you will, then you will be strong. But the first time, if you don't stay in shape, that you need to lift something heavy, you're at a loss. Because even if you lift it, later on you might be sore. Let, let, let me give you a, a great example. Uh, here, every Christmas, um, here at Memorial, we decorate the church. Some of y'all have been a part of decorating our, our church. And we put out all kinds of different decorations, Christmas tree out in the, out in the front foyer. And, you know, we'll, we'll put some of the stuff out here on the banisters and whatnot. But we've got these two, y'all know what I'm talking about who have been with us for a while. We've got these two five foot wreaths and we put them right back up here on, on either side of the cross as we decorate for Christmas. Now I have been putting up these five foot wreaths for the past 10 years. And let me tell you something, they are heavy. And when you're on a ladder, you know, eight feet, 10 feet off the ground, they're even heavier because you've got to keep your balance. And some of y'all have actually helped us put them up before, but, but it's always been my thing because I've I put them up, you know, we've put them up for 10 years. And so I know there's a way that you got to do it because let me tell you, you put that thing up and it falls, you know, it, it's a disaster, okay? It's, so there's a special way that you got to do it. And so one of the ways that you do this, work with me here, is you hold on to the ladder with one hand and you take this giant thing and you've got a lift it up with the other hand in order to put it on the wall. Every year, it leaves me so sore. Every year, I'm like, oh, the next day, I'm like, man, my arms, my shoulders, all of that, except for this year. This year, during COVID, there's a lot of things going on. I had, had a partner that would work out with me every single day. Every morning, we'd get up early, and we'd work out, and this year, it was so strange, this year, we have been working out, and, he, and this guy that I worked out with loved to work shoulders, and you know, he loved to work arms and things like that, and so this year, it was the strangest thing. I get up on that ladder, and I'm thinking this is going to be like every other year, and this thing just goes right up. It's amazing. I was like, wow, it was the easiest thing in the world to put this thing on the wall. It's like, I should try this more often, you know, work out, but here's what happened. Because I had been faithful and steady before when it came time, I was strong enough to put it on the wall and it didn't leave me sore. In the same way, you and I have a responsibility that when opposition comes, that we have been consistent with our worship, that we have been consistent with our praying, that we have been consistent with our studying, that we have been consistent with our serving and our giving and living a life of, of mission and making a kingdom investment. So that when that time of crisis comes, when people speak against you or when opposition begins to come, you are stronger, you are calmer, you have situational awareness. You are self-controlled. This is exactly how it was with Stephen. And look at how verse 8 pairs so well with verse 10. So in verse 8, it says that he's full of grace, power, performing great wonders and signs among the people. We know from earlier in the chapter that he's been serving. So he's been working those spiritual muscles. And what is the result of that? Skip down into verse 10. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Do you see this? If you want to remain steadfast in the midst of opposition, you've got to train. That's why you can't be church hopping. 
You've got to get steadfast. You've got to get planted. That's why you've got to be here. And that's why I encourage folks, if you're not sick or traveling, man, come on to church because it is time to train. That's one of the reasons why we're encouraging over the next year for you to get involved in our 222 culture classes. That's what's on the back of your notes that we put there every week to keep it on the back of your mind. It is not some regular Bible study. It is, it is a training it is training you to walk with God. We've even have a few people that have, that have started it. It's only eight weeks, but, but a few people that started it and, and they fell behind. And I would just encourage you, if you've been one of those people that maybe you started it, started it and you fell behind for whatever reason, we're going to offer it again. And I want to encourage you to try it again. I, I think so many believers, they use the sword of the spirit like a little kid with a plastic lightsaber that they bought at Target. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen a little boy with a plastic lightsaber? I don't know that I would want him fighting right next to me in battle. He might hit me. But here's what I want you to see. I want us to see that we are about making skilled warriors who can remain steadfast when the battle comes. That's what we're about here at Memorial. So that's number one being faithful to Christ before experiencing opposition. The second thing is being faithful to the word of God, being faithful to the word of God. Now, I told you I was gonna come back to this. Look with me in verse nine. Look with me in verse nine. Let's just read the whole thing. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freeman's synagogue composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia. Now, look at this. And they began to argue with Stephen. Now, that's the, that's the word that my Bible uses. Here, if you go back into the original Greek of, of this word, if you really want to dig down into uh, the meaning of this word, yes, they were arguing, but it really implies more of a formal debate. This isn't some cat fight in the streets, okay? He has been formally debating them. Think of like a debate team. If you're in high school and you, your high school has a debate team or you can think of something like that, I want you to think in your mind of a formal debate, okay? And so we can see how that it didn't work out. And then, so you've got here in, in verse 11, it says that they secretly persuaded some men to say, look at, look at the first two words. We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And then skip down to verse 14. Look, they, the same thing. For we heard, same two words, him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And then what happens is you've got all of chapter seven. We'll look at some of that in the days to come. Chapter seven is the longest chapter in the book of Acts. It's got 60 verses and it's the longest chapter and it is the sermon of Stephen recounting the Old Testament. And here's what I want us to understand. Why did you go through all of that, Pastor Dan? Is because I want you to understand one simple concept. And that is the fact that, that Stephen was faithful to the word of God. Not one time did Stephen water it down. And there's been a temptation in this age and in every age to water down the word of God and to not be offensive. And here's what I would say to that. You and I are called to speak the truth in love, 
But we're not called to be uh, belligerent or malicious. We're not to bully or speak condescendingly. Nevertheless, if the truth that is spoken, if the word of God is spoken, if it offends, then it just offends. Some of y'all have heard Billy Graham preach. Some of y'all might be able to go back, and I love watching old Billy Graham videos over and over as you watch Billy Graham videos, or if, you, if he's being interviewed, sometimes he'll, he'll do this in, in interviews. But many times he'll say something to this effect. He'll say, the Bible says, and then he'll go on. He'll quote a verse. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Over and over, he'll say, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, because he wanted people to know that it wasn't his opinion or his feelings about things. It was what the Bible said. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, we're going to put it up here on the screen. We've talked about this over the past couple of weeks, but I just want to bring it up one more time. It says this, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. In other words, they're going to water down the gospel. They're going to water down the Bible. They're going to dilute it. But according to their own desires, they'll multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And so if you and I are going to remain steadfast, we can't be ear itchers. We've got to stay steadfast to the word, faithful to the word of God. So even if you're in a situation that might not be about Jesus per se, maybe it's about some other uh, uh, area of culture, don't compromise what God says. Be faithful to the word of God and be steadfast. So we're being faithful to Christ before experiencing opposition. We're being faithful to the word of God. And then number three, last thing that I want you to write down this morning is that in order for us remaining steadfast, when people speak against you, it requires you to reflect the glory of God, to reflect the glory of God. Now, this is cool. Look at verse 15 with me. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, so he's been brought in, he's been arrested, looked intently at him, talking about Stephen, and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Oh, that's so sweet. He's getting ready to represent God and his face looks like the face of an angel. Is that, is that what it's talking about? Is that why it said it? Absolutely not. That's not why it talks about that. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Where do angels mostly reside? Angels mostly reside in the very presence of God. We've talked about this. And when you are in, the, in God's presence, it is revealed in your countenance. Remember when Jesus was born, how the shepherds were in the field in Luke 2 verse 9, and it says the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And then listen, don't miss this part. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Now, why does it say that the glory of the Lord shone around them? Why would it say something like that? Why doesn't this, this verse simply say that the Lord appeared to them and they were terrified? Why, why doesn't it say that? No, it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Have you ever bought something that was glow in the dark? You know what I'm talking about? Stickers, those little stars that people put sometimes in their, in their room. Sometimes kids put those little stars and you know, how does glow in the dark stuff work? Do you know? 
you got to turn the light on, right? And it absorbs that light. It absorbs that energy, if you will. And then when you turn the light off, what happens? It begins to glow. It begins to shine. All throughout scripture, when someone has been in the presence of God, it shows in their countenance. It shows on their face. If you spent time worshiping God, if you spent time at the feet of Jesus, let me tell you something. It's not just about reading your Bible and praying. It's about sitting at his feet and experiencing his glory for all that it is. That's what being a Christian is all about. And that's exactly what Stephen had done. Did you know that there is only one other person in all of scripture that it talks about their face shining? Who was it? Do you remember? Moses. It was Moses. Moses in, in, in uh, Exodus chapter 34, when Moses is coming off Mount Sinai, he's got the Ten Commandments and his hand, in his hand, and he has to veil his face because it's glowing with the, because he had been in the presence of God. This is huge because who are they accusing him of speaking against? Do you remember? Who were they speak, who were they accusing him? Look at what verse 11 says. And they secretly persuaded some men to say, we heard him speaking blasphemous words against who? Against Moses and God. The only other person in all of scripture that it talks about the face, the countenance, being in God's presence like the face of an angel is Moses. Now, how do we apply that? If you want to remain steadfast when opposition comes, when people come against you in your workplace and in your family, you've had people come against you in your family. I know you have. It's hard. Your friends. How do you remain steadfast when they begin to say all those things? Here's what I want you to focus on is reflecting the glory of God. It's about that transformation that has happened internally in your life. I'm not talking about money or success or fame. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, and you get this, that you've been saved and you recognize that God is on his throne and that nothing on planet earth can thwart his plans. What, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Mock you? What are they going to do? Kill you? Well, if they, if they, if they mock you, if they persecute you, then it's like Paul says, you are sharing in Christ's sufferings. If they kill you, then, then, then what? You spend eternity in heaven. Nothing can touch you. It's that kind of mentality that says, nothing can touch me if I'm in Jesus Christ. Nothing. And it gives you that glory, that reflecting glory of countenance. As we close today, here's what I want us to understand as, as you guys and I, we're called to represent Christ even in the midst of opposition. I want you to hear this loud and clear. God loves it when you show him off. He loves it when you show him off. I want you to go out of here this week. I want you to show God off. Show him off to your family. Show him off to your friends. Show him off to your coworkers. He wants to be revealed among his people. But don't miss this part. He doesn't want apologies. He doesn't want apologies. 
If Jesus Christ is the love of your life, show him off. In 2006, I met my wife at a church outside my college. Years later, we got married, and I love her to death. But here's the thing. What if I were to walk in to a group of people? What if I was to walk into coworkers or family or something like that? And I was to say, all right, I'm here. You know, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm so sorry my wife came. I know, right, baby? I'd be in trouble. Nevertheless, let's just talk. Let's just talk openly. How often do we do that with Jesus? Family, coworkers, school, students, school. And we're, and we're like, okay, you know, here, and we're just having conversation, and we never bring him up because we're ashamed or we apologize. Show Jesus off. Be steadfast. Thank you.